You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Take your Bibles, please, Jeremiah chapter 2. I see, I see you over there with your mom and dad from India. Good to have you here with us. You have wonderful kids and grandkids as well. And then Tanya, I saw your mom and dad back here. Tanya Rowe, and we welcome you back to church. I wish you'd just move here. We'd love to have you. And there are many visitors I'm missing, but we're grateful for all of you today. And thank you for being here. You know, the display must be taken away the amen today. All God's people said, amen. I don't know what we're amening, but we're amening it. We'll go to lunch in a few minutes. We're all on diets, aren't we, I guess, you know. But, um, I, I'm so grateful for this church. This first, these first um, six months have been incredible. Just wonderful things taking place. And God is so good. Tomorrow night, Brother Cooper mentioned, 6 o'clock. Now, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, you may not want to come to about 6.30. They have this, this thing called competitions. This place is filled with teenagers, and they, they, they have different uh, activities and, and promotions, and they competitions against teams. They're all be different teams, and it's wild. It's loud. I sit in my office over here and watch it on the, on the video screen in here. It just, it's, it's way beyond. And then I start feeling guilty. I always come out to watch them. But it's a lot of fun. But at 6.30 every night, we actually begin. But not tomorrow night. As Pastor Cooper said, you're going to want to see that opening video. We believe there's still hope for America. Amen. And uh, I hope that uh, we understand that. I would like you to look with me in Jeremiah 2. Jeremiah 2, I want to read one verse that I'm going to ask you to turn with me to another text we'll read together. Jeremiah is a preacher. He preached for 41 years like Isaiah preached for 62 years. Neither one had success. The people, they heard the message, but they refused the message. 41 years of preaching it would seem like to the world wasted. Uh, 62 years, Isaiah, of preaching, no response. But you know, you don't, we, we don't do what we're supposed to just for the response. I raised my kids, they're not living for God. That response is their choice. I'm tired of parents beating themselves up for doing a good job, a faithful job, being good parents, providing a roof over the head of your kids, providing meals, and then your kids don't turn out like you hoped and prayed and begged God for, that's their decision. That's called personal accountability. That's called, God says that a father doesn't stand in judgment for the sins of his children. Just keep doing right. So you go to bed with a broken heart, be a grandmother or a grandfather that's on their knees praying for their kids and grandkids. Here in chapter two, we introduce the message of the hour and of course, God's word is coming to 
Jeremiah, verse one, verse, chapter one, verse two, the word of the Lord. Verse four, the word of the Lord. Verse number 11, the word of the Lord. Verse 13, the word of the Lord. This is not Jeremiah's idea. This is God's word speaking to a man and a man speaking to the people. He begins by saying in chapter number two, verse one, the word of the Lord came to me. Verse number four, hear ye the word of the Lord. Verse five, thus saith the Lord, what iniquity have your fathers found in me that they are gone far from me and walk after vanity and become vain? God's speaking to fathers. And by the way, I'm not speaking a Father's Day message today, though we can apply it. Turn with me, if you will, to chapter 7. It's amazing how Jeremiah is trying to bring a nation back to God. And 47 times he keeps coming back to, in this book, your fathers, your fathers, your fathers. Dads, pay attention. Let me read verses 1 through 5. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. And again, this is not his word, it's God's word. He said, I want you to go to church. Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, hear the word of the Lord, all ye Judah that enter in at these gates to worship the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your doing. And I will cause you to dwell in this place. Trust ye not in lying words. Say, oh, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. Hypocrisy, in other words. For if ye thoroughly amend your ways and your doing, ye shall thoroughly execute judgment between man and his neighbor. Go, if you will, to our text together, verses 22 through 28. 22 through 28. Now what to read verse 22 and you read 23 and I'll read the even numbered verses and you the odd numbered verses. The Bible says, for I spake not unto your fathers nor commanded them in the day that I brought them out of Egypt concerning birth sacrifices, offerings and sacrifices. Verse 23, ready, begin. But this thing command I But they hearken not. They hearken not. You see that verse? They didn't listen. Either, did I cut you off? Did I cut you off? Just try to see if you're awake. Uh, I'm so sorry if I did that. I apologize. But walk in the counsel and imagination of the evil heart and went backward and not forward. Since today your fathers, verse 25, ready, begin. Since the day that your fathers came forth, verse 26, but they hearken not unto me, nor incline their ear, but harden their necks. They did worse than their fathers. Therefore,
Let's all read verse 28 together, shall we? Ready, begin. But thou shalt say unto them, I still believe in America. And I believe America can come back to God. I don't believe we're too far gone yet. We're close. I want to speak to you on this subject today. It's not too late. I just believe revival is around the corner. I do. I believe we're ripe for revival. I'll ask Pastor Cooper to lead us in prayer and ask that God this morning will speak to our hearts. It is a pivotal moment. We're, we're talking about, hey, tomorrow's for the teens. Change the teens. Well, how about the church? Today, let's have a word of prayer together, please. Please. I pray somehow that you'd help us to see it the way that you'd have us see it. I pray that you'd help us to realize the importance of the moment and how close we are to the edge, Lord. Yeah, and I believe we're teetering and go one way or the other. I pray you do something just now that would help nudge us back the right direction. I pray that you'd convict us. I pray that you'd uh, encourage us. I pray you'd challenge us, whatever the need is. I just pray we'd be obedient to how you speak to us today. And God, I pray for revival, a sweeping move of God. I pray that you'd search us thoroughly. I pray that you'd help us to be open with you. And I pray for our nation, God. I pray that you do something, uh, Lord, to just uh, change the situation in America before it's too late, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Turn with me in your Bibles one more text, chapter 16. If you'll go there in chapter 16. I want you to notice in verse 3, this summarizes, of course, verse 1, the word of the Lord. You'll find that phrase repeatedly. This is not Jeremiah's word. And as I preach the Bible today, it's not my thoughts, it's God's word. And here's what he said, and this sums it up, verse number 3. Thus saith the Lord concerning the sons, concerning the daughters that are born in this place, concerning the mothers that bear them, concerning their fathers. You see, the home is the foundation of society. And any despot that tries to take over a country always does so by destroying the home. Hitler did the same. Mussolini did the same. They, whenever communism, socialism, dictatorship comes into a country, they divide the people. So when people are in leadership, government in particular, they divide the rich versus the poor, the race against the race, the educated against the uneducated, uh, the, the religion against the religion, the wife against the husband, the children against the parents. We are living in a moment where everything is under attack. Our economy is under attack. We are not a third world country. We should not be going to the grocery store and seeing empty shelves. We should not be asking, where is that? They said, well, we're out of that. We should not be having, in America, the lack of baby food. 
We are living right on the verge, as Pastor just prayed, on the precipice of destruction. And it's going to have to stop today in the church. Revival is not going to come to the White House. Revival doesn't come to Sacramento or Washington, D.C. Revival judgment begins, the Bible says, at the house of God. Quit, quit fooling around with God. Quit goofing off with God. Quit failing to raise your kids under the Word of God. Quit failing to have prayer with your family. Quit the nonsense that everything is about the NBA, the Major League Baseball, the NFL, Hollywood, movie stars, the easy life, the golf course. Stop all that play. Let's get back to God. It's an urgent hour. Oh, no, I'm not an old fogey. I'm not saying you can't do some of those things and play sports and all that, but we're out of control. We're out of control. And the iPhone is taking us out of control. You, you watch conversations of people. Prior to COVID, we were at a restaurant, just a regular old restaurant. There's eight people at a table. All eight had their cell phones out. All eight were not talking and communicating with one another. They're communicating with their phone. That's the destruction of society. The goal ought to have communication. Most people cannot even carry a conversation on with one another unless it's through your Say, well, I'm popular. I've got a lot of friends. Your mother and at best your sister. You have two. Well, yeah, but I took a selfie and a lot of people said like it. What are they supposed to say? All three had to say, your mother had to say she liked it. I'm talking about the fact today it's not too late for America. Here was a home under attack. I still believe there's hope for America. I believe we're ripe for a revival. Do you recall that, that I preached on this series about 13 weeks ago? In the book of Acts chapter 20, the first message, a Macedonian most moment. That God gave a Macedonian moment to those Christians and Paul is ancient now, he's getting ready to die. He's not going to see their face anymore. He's headed toward Jerusalem to die and be beheaded. And he wanted to go this way. He wanted to go and wanted to go, uh, wanted to go west. He wanted to go eastward. And as he went, he wanted to go to Africa and to India and to Asia with the gospel. And the Holy Spirit said, Acts 16, no, you can't. I want you to go to Europe. The chain of Christianity has always moved westward. I began to tell you about what took place in America politically. 1760, we were getting a president from New England. 1860, we got a, gov a, a president from uh, Illinois, Abraham Lincoln. And in 1960, we got a president from California, Richard Nixon. Do you know that that's the way revival has always been? Revival took place on the East Coast in what was called the 13 colonies. We settled in 1620 at Providence. What a name for the first city. And as they settled there, the colonies became very corrupt. Lasciviousness broke loose, they said, was the word they kept using. That word lasciviousness simply means Lewd, it's a Bible term, lewd behavior, drunken behavior. 
and uh, I don't use this word, but for the sake of understanding, sexual deviant behavior began in the colonies. People began to pray for revival. Churches began to pray for revival. God raised up a man by the name of Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards, they say, was probably the brightest mind in America's history and one of the greatest minds since Moses in the Bible, who's listed as one of the most eight influential men in world history. Jonathan Edwards was a strange man. He was misunderstood, but he was a brilliant man. Jonathan Edwards, at age 13, went to a place called Yale. Yale, like Harvard, like Princeton, like Dartmouth, like Brown University, were all Bible colleges. The first 10 colleges in America were Bible colleges. Harvard had 58% of the graduates became preachers. That school began in 1638. But when it began to corrupt, according to them, they started another school called Yale. And Yale, and I've been on that campus, it's beautiful, Jonathan Edwards Hall. But in 1701, they began Yale, a Bible college, to train men and women. Uh, Princeton started because Yale began to corrupt, and the Presbyterians said, we're going to start a Bible college. They started Princeton. That began to corrupt, and the Baptists started Brown College, well-known college to this, all Ivy League schools. Now, Jonathan Edwards was raised up. He was a great student, a great scholar. At age 13, he went to Yale College. 13. And by age 17, when most are getting out of high school, he had already graduated valedictorian of his class. He was an amazing man. Jonathan Edwards began to pray that God would send a mighty revival. He joined, was joined by George Whitfield. And also at that time was John and Charles Wesley over in Europe, and they came here and preached. You know what happened in 1740? 17, 17, in 17, uh, 1720 through 1760, a great revival took place called the Great Awakening. You can go to your secular phone or computer and look up Great Awakening. It tells you all about it. The Great Awakening was when those 13 colonies began to wake up that we are sinful, we're drunkards, we're immoral, we're godless, and they began to get right with God. And it lasted over 40 years and then continued the residue thereafter. That took place on the East Coast in the colonies. Well, then America began to become debauchery again. They began to live in the same word, licentiousness. Lasciviousness, and as they did, they began to become immoral, they became drunken, they became lewd. But in 1775 to 1840, historians tell us there was the second awakening in America. And the second awakening began to stir the hearts of people that we need to get right with God. The moral conditions were evil, liquor was flowing freely in America. There was corruption in government. And God raised up a man by the name of Charles Finney to preach. And God raised up, young people, are you listening? He raised up teenagers. And teenagers began to sing and to pray, followed by preaching. 
And we'll have skits this week, and we'll have funny things happening, we'll have games, we'll have activities, and I'm all for that. But I'll tell you what they did. They sang, and they preached, and they prayed, and revival came, called the Great Awakening. Did you follow the trend? On the East Coast, when it got so evil, the colonies, and in the Midwest, because the Second Awakening happened in Illinois, in Indiana, in Iowa, and in Kentucky, and all the deep south. Now, the East Coast was reminded some came back to God. But the real great awakening came to the middle part of this country. And great revivals took place, and God used them. But now, it stopped. You know when the chain of Christianity moves westward? But we've never had a revival. The East Coast has had their revival. The East Coast had a president in the 1760s, George Washington. The Midwest had a revival, and they had a president by the name of Abraham Lincoln. But we've never seen a revival. I think we're right. In order to have revival, you've got to be wicked. Sin has to abound. We're seeing all over this area and all over the world, but all over the nation, we're seeing the, the, the rainbow flag. The rainbow belongs to God's word. That was a promise to Noah. And now we're spending money, and they're discovering since about 2018, we've been spending hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars on three years of age in public education, teaching children three years of age and upward how to become a transgender. That is absolutely right. And politicians are saying that your kids do not belong to you, they're the governments. We better wake up. I know I'm being, I know I'm, I know I'm monitored. We know that. I'm not saying get that vaccine or not. I'm not saying that. But the president came out this week and said, we're excited. Now infants can get it. It's not been vetted, people. Medicine has to take years to vet. What is the side effect? And if they're a brand new infant and it's only been around the, the shot for a few months, how do we know what's going to happen? And they said, you need two. Babies at birth. Tell me, please, the ingredients. Nobody can tell me the ingredients because they're not published. What are the side effects of those ingredients? Um, hey, get the shot. That's what you believe. But now we're down to the children. Now we're down to the babies. We better wake up. We better figure this thing out that we need to return to God. Government should not be controlling our children. The West has never experienced revival. The West needs revival. R remember over here the colonies? What was the result? What? 1720 through 1760, 1770, what was the result? Something called the United States Constitution. Colonel Harder, that was one of the results, and the Bill of Rights, and the formation of a government based on the book of Exodus and Leviticus. We, we got America through that great awakening. 
That was the result that took place in that early day. What was the result of right here? The second awakening, D.L. Moody, Charles Spurgeon, Finney. What was the result? Something called camp meetings, brush arbors, revival meetings. That was the result. You didn't have that here. And this did not have from the heritage from England. They didn't have those. But all of a sudden, preachers are preaching. And preachers are powerful. And preachers went outside, outside the city. And they found any place they could have brush harbor. And they began to assemble and thousands came. Billy Sunday came on the scene there shortly thereafter. He went and held a 10-day revival. He, he, Billy Sunday, born in the 1800s. Billy Sunday played in the early 1900s for the Chicago White Sox. He was the fastest man in baseball, but he and his buddies were hanging out on the street corner near the Pacific Garden Mission. They're all drunk. And he heard this singing. He said, I think I'm going to go into that mission. Oh, Billy, don't go in there. And Billy Sunday went in and got saved. His life was changed. And he said to the White Sox, the next year I can't play ball anymore. I'm going to go live for Jesus and preach the word of God. And he crisscrossed this nation. They put down sawdust trail. He built tabernacles everywhere. New York City went for 10 weeks. 10 million people heard him. And 2 million people got saved. That was a result of awakening. Reality, what California, we're so far gone. California, Oregon, Washington, all these western estates, they're so far gone. We are so ripe for revival. We're gone. We're, we're, we have no hope but look up to God. We say, well, we don't need the Lord. Who is the Lord anyway? He's the Lord of glory. He is the I am. I thank God that there's a God that wants to change the situation in the landscape of our area. Well, I got to move out of here. Why not fast and pray and thank God for revival here? So I don't think he can do it. Tell that generation the first awakening. Tell that ge generation the second awakening. Hollywood's so ripe for revival. Professional sports are so ripe for revival. News commentators are so ripe for revival. We're there. I'm not going to give up by the grace of God because we have 14 grandkids coming after us. I want those grandkids to have an America where Sunday's the Lord's day. It's a holy day. And the 380,000 churches are not closed on Sunday night, but they keep the doors open. I received a book not long ago. Brother Flood, you bought it for me. It's the uh, book entitled Church of Cowards. I really never bring the paper or books to the platform. But let me read you something today. I'll tell you who he is in a moment. He said, some, some Christians still in this country worry that heathen hordes are going to come and arrive at our shores one day, armed with guns and knives and bombs to crush our Christian way of life and destroy the American church. Jump, jumping down, let us imagine that the heathen hordes come and show up one day with swords in hand ready to butcher Christians. Consider their confusion landing here. They're looking and expecting evidence of Christianity because this is 
Three times the Supreme Court has said this is a Christian nation. And we actually carry coins and currency that says in God. And that's not Muhammad. That is God Jehovah we trust. And one nation under God is not Confucius. It's God Almighty Jehovah. They thought they were going to find a Christian nation. But they stumbled upon a pagan country. They had pictures that in their minds that America was filled with pious, modest, prayerful believers. Instead, they found shallow, over-immoral zombies, vicarious living with their phones, their cell phones, that have stocked up faces and photos of their own faces. They find that modesty is scorned. And discipline is scorned. And obedience is rejected. They find materialism and secularism and atheism. And the only thing they have trouble locating is Christianity. By the way, go to any city of the 9 million people in the Bay Area tonight and look for an open church. That's what this book is talking about. And so we look at the homes and over half the children, this was written two years ago, half the children are living without a biological parent. They notice all matter of sexual perversion, which accepted and legitimized homosexuals being called for a purity and they encourage to marry one another. Raucous praise are held across the country and they applaud their sodomy. They're profoundly confused as they approach the first house of worship. Outside, it looks like a post office or a medical clinic. There's no indication that it's a church. Sometimes they have signs like New Horizons or Cross Point, but it looks like a rehab center for wealthy drug pushers. They wander inside and find a bunch of people sitting around in casual clothing, sipping Starbucks, listening to me mediocre rock bands perform pop songs. Nobody's demonstrating anything of reverence. There's no sign that anything is sacred happening here. Then out comes onto the stage, striding a hip, hip young man with perfect hair, wearing his skinny jeans and his deep V-neck. And he begins to speak with several maximums of inspirational platitudes and self-help. The man, quote, the pastor, claims to be, uh, speak about God in vague terms. It's not a Christian God. This man is telling his audience about something that seems like he's a magical genie who only is there to satisfy our appetites. There's no judgment of God. The heathens are standing back and wondering, is this Christianity? They go to the next church. They wander around the neighborhood. This one has the appearance of a baseball stadium or a shopping mall. It's packed to the rafters with thousands of people in coffee stands. They go into an auditorium. It's a not ordained with any crosses or a, but a, a, a globe or a picture of a tree. They see fancy lighting, expensive audiovisual equipment, people in highly colored t-shirts handing brochures and a rock band is playing. A smiley, pleasant looking man walks on stage with a fancy suit. He has a friendly countenance and an engaging speaking style, but his message is hollow and deceptively cynical. The pastor, quote pastor, says nothing about sin, redemption, repentance, holiness, or obedience. 
He's more like a religious Ophrah. Further down the road, they come to another church. And actually, their enthusiasm for the mission revives as they enter this one. It looks like a Christian church, but there's a rainbow flag hanging on the inside. You can see an old middle-aged, see a middle-aged woman sporting her crew cut and priestly garb. Besides her, a priestess, but the building's virtually empty. Finally, they come to a bland, ugly office-like building. It has the name Christian on it. It's St. Mark's, our holy family. They see a smattering of old, boring people wearing T-shirts, sitting in cushioned pews, chatting softly with one another. A choir of baby boomers and jeans standing in the place of honor at the front of the church begins to play something that sounds more like a cross between elevator music and campfire music. Let us build their song, A, a, a House of Love, where hopes and dreams and vision can, uh, can emerge. Made you want to vomit. They run back to the church of Skinny Jean's pastor. The pastor smiling in the church with his lesbian priest and the teamwork priest. Pastor Smiley stands in his message, as long as you love Jesus in your heart, it's not necessary to follow all these strict, narrow-minded rules that have been written thousands of years ago. They begin to chant, love wins, love wins, we're not haters, love wins. Too rigid, too rigid. Sorrowfully, we go back to the boats. We came to kill some Christians, but there's none to kill. The man that wrote that to you is a Roman Catholic. You thought it was some judgmental, independent, fundamental Baptist. This Roman Catholic went on a, Christ, went on a vacation. He said, our Christianity has become so, so casual. Most churches in America, you will see this attitude on full display if you did not know something about Christianity, you'd wander in these business buildings and think you're maybe in some social club. He said, I went into one and people milling around in their flip-flops and shorts and shouting loudly, clad jeans and their, their band playing to hokey, secular music. Pastor gives a sermon like sounds like a high school counsel, uh, guidance counselor. Isaiah pits, paints a totally different picture. So he's on vacation. Don't get mad at me. I'm just quoting the, uh, a nationwide writer and radio man. A couple years ago, I felt personally attacked. We went to church in Pennsylvania while I was on vacation. The priest was standing talking about this very subject, about casualness, respect for God and worship. He admonished the church and congregation. And by the way, I talked to a man today. He came and shorts, he apologized. I said, you're no problem. You're traveling. God bless you. I'm glad you're here. But I'm just reading what this Catholic said about his Catholic priest. Men in that church did not even bother to put on long pants, a nice shirt. The women came dressed like they had stumbled out of a college bar at 2 a.m. The pastor explained that day that the lackadaisical attire was a symptom of a greater problem. 
Many Christians have a lackadaisical spiritual life. Our outfits only reflect what's on the inside. I watched the t-shirts and the flip-flops. I began to feel angry at the priest for making me a sweeping statement without even considering that maybe we have a good reason dressing like this. I began to become very angry at him. I was offended. An excuse. This is outrageous. This, this guy did not preface his remarks by exempting me personally. But I was chastised. And I deserve to be. I'm afraid that sometimes that's how I approach God, just so casual. Reverence is more than church attire. He goes on to say, a Muslim who prays five times a day lying prostrate on the ground is acting like a personal, he has, he has a person that he actually believes in. A Christian who rarely prays at all, never is on his knees, goes to church to socialize, but there's very little reverence. If I read to you that from an independent fundamental Baptist, say, that's why I'm not coming back to this church, you're so judgmental. That's a Roman Catholic speaking about his Catholic priest. And sometimes some of these other faiths have more conviction about something than we do. This is not play. This is last hour calling. We're at the last hour. You, 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 can't, you can't get much worse. We're down in the gutter. It's called the Church of Cowards. So riveting as I read it. Church of Cowards. His stories, uh, if I had time, I'd take you to Rome. The, his historians show us that, that Rome fell. The destruction of Rome was because they had destruction in the home. And they had materialism, and materialism had them. And they had money, and they had no time for God. And they wanted to legislate sin. And they also gave their children, they used to have all the education of their children, and they gave, the Romans gave their children over to the Greeks in a public setting where the Greeks could teach them uh, their way of life, and it destroyed the country. 59 years ago, last Friday, on the 17th of July, I remember that day, 1963, where our Supreme Court voted, we do not want God allowed with his Bible and with prayer in our public schools. By the way, if God's not allowed in public school, what are you doing sending your kids there? We're losing America. It's destructive where we're at in our, in our life today. We are losing this country. Isaiah stood and preached and he said, you vipers. We can't do that now. He defends somebody. I'm not trying to be rude to anybody. I'm just trying to warn us. Look, I've lived my life. I've already outlived what the Bible says I'm supposed to live. I'm okay. I'm, 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 getting, I'm getting close to nearing the shore. But my grandkids, by the grace of God, are not. And I don't want to be guilty of giving them a garbage heap when I'm dead and gone. I don't want to be guilty of giving your kids garbage. God's still ordained in these last days. He says in the times, in these last days, the foolishness of preaching. Well, I want it to be more like a seminar. Well, you're helping destroy this thing. What's the answer? 
Remember we read about fathers and mothers and sons and daughters? It's to get back to a Bible home. What's the Bible? Ephesians 5.25, the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Head does not mean brains. Most women are smarter than men anyway. Head means the one that sets a direction. In the last days, Isaiah 3, 9, women are going to rule over them, the Bible says. In the last days, God says that, that men, uh, children, will rule over parents. In the last days, it says, by the show of their countenance, Isaiah 3, they're going to live in sodomy, burning in their lust, man with man and woman with woman. Can't you wake up? Aren't we there? Dad, you're going to have to take the headship. Well, I, I, I just, I don't believe in, and you know, I think we ought to just kumbaya, get along together. Maybe my wife do this. No, no God assigned a task for you, sir. Doesn't mean you're a ruler and a dictator and your little wife, sit down, shut your mouth. Some of you guys have that out of order too. You love that wife. And when you love your wife in Ephesians 5, as you should love her, you're not going to be abusive. You're not going to be abusive with your tongue. You're not going to be abusive with your hands. You're not going to be abusive as you, as you lead your family. But it's about time some men stop saying, can we, can, please, can we do this? Can we, honey, can, it's okay we do this? No, I don't want it. Okay, we won't do it. We won't do it. We won't do it. Grow up, sir. Be a man again. I find that God gives a command, men lead. In that text, Ephesians 6, 5, 23, women, wives, mothers, submit yourself to your own husband. That does not mean your wife's a doormat. Hey, little woman! Does, love means that she's not waiting on you, by the way. Love means you go ahead and wait on her. But you set a direction for your home. Financially, Spiritually, what's your when was the last time your family gathered together and prayed? When was the last time your marriage prayed? When was the last time you sang Christian songs together with your kids? Friend, this is urgent. We're playing around in it. Well, we go to church Sunday morning. What else do you want? Uh, how about Christ who is our life? Colossians chapter 3, verse 4. A wife is in the support role. A husband is a... I, I wish CNN could get a hold of this today. It's going to be awesome. A husband leads? You've got to be kidding. Yeah, because the Bible says a man cannot fulfill this role being the support role. You're equipped for that. That's why you look at the father. The father represents the heavenly father. The mother represents the Holy Spirit. She's the one that comforts. She's the one that guides the home. Philippians, uh, 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 Proverbs 31, a wife guides the family. She guides the children. And she guides the children and the family back to the head. Doesn't it compute that 50% of our kids are living without dads Why there's problems? Doesn't it compute that today we take the Bible out of school 59 years ago and there was not abortion? And now we've killed 63 million. Doesn't it compute? And kids are walking up on campuses. 59 years ago, I was in public school. I was in junior high. And I'm going to tell you something. We didn't have metal detectors, and we didn't have police, and we didn't have gates around the place, and we did not have any guns on campus, and we didn't have shooting, and guns were more accessible back then than they are today. But you can't 
take a generation for 59 years to kill a baby, kill a baby, kill a baby without kids being angry in life and dad being disappeared and all of a sudden they go on campuses to destroy. We're reaping. So a husband leaves and a wife, she's the, as the Holy Spirit. And by the way, the children are represented in Jesus. Jesus, the children, their job is obey. Children, obey your parents. Ephesians 6, 1, obey your parents. But, but that's what Jesus did. He said, I come to do thy will, Father. Jesus came to die on the cross because it was the Father's will. So I close today. It's late, but I don't think it's too late, Brother Poussin. I would say, thank God for this great church. I'd say probably 60, 70% of you are right with me. I got 10% of you so ticked off today, and I, I'm just preaching the Bible. I'm preaching history, what took place. We'll lose folks over this one, but we always do. And by the way, I'm not wanting to lose anybody, but somebody be sitting in your seat next week because there's people that want God's word and they want truth. Jeremiah pled with them, don't you see that you stiff-necked people, what's going to happen to you? You're going to go into bondage. And they said, they hearken not. Guess what next thing they took, and it took place after chapter, they went into bondage. God sent men of God and mothers, dads and grandparents to send a warning. We're so secular. Thank God for the many that our church has. Every year we have about 60 in Bible college. We're down a little bit this year. We'll be about 50. We just graduate 12 of our kids in the ministry. These rock and roll churches are producing nobody, for, nobody. for them. That's why they go after our graduates out of our high school and college. Because they're not producing anybody for a Bible college. Well, why is Bible college? By the way, God's children first ought to say, Lord, here am I. Send me. I'll go where you want me to go. I didn't want to go to the ministry. I wanted to go to Vietnam as a Marine. But I knew God. I didn't know what he was doing. I didn't see me ever being a preacher. But I knew God wanted me to do something with my life. You say, well, every kid's not wired that way. Well, they should first give God first opportunity. Seek first God. Think of all these babies we aborted. This Curry boy, his mother came out and said, I aborted, I aborted his first brother. You wonder if he was supposed to be the preacher. They're from a, they call it a Christian home. I wonder how many preachers we've killed. I wonder how many preachers we have taken out of the ministry because we've got, so, we've got a society now that kids, parents are believing that kids were created to take care of them as they get older. That's not Bible. So that's the way it is in our country. I know a lot of countries come here and the way it is, you take care of mom and dad. That's not Bible. Bible says you leave an inheritance to your children. Not your children leaving. I want my son to be a doctor so he'll be rich so he can take care of me. That's selfishness. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. 
For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.